0: Welcome to episode 10 of the G2 on 5G, the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst, Anshul Sag. But before we get started, you might notice a new branding treatment on our podcast. And in an effort to provide some consistency on look and feel with our other colleagues, Mark Vina that covers Smart Home, and Matt and Steve that cover Data Center, you're gonna see this new branding treatment. Um, and we have Anshul to thank for, uh, for all the post-production on that. So let's get started. My first topic this week uh, is news from the FCC. Uh, they have immediately cut off the Universal Service Fund for U.S. rural operators that are maintaining Chinese infrastructure. And as everyone knows, you know Huawei has been in the crosshairs as well as ETE. I really think this is too abrupt. I mean, it's effective immediately. And basically, it pulls the rug out from under these rural operators on supporting their current infrastructure. Now, certainly, on the deployment of 5G, there's a lot of discussion that's been going around um, on pivoting away, obviously, from Chinese infrastructure based on security concerns. But I really think this is too abrupt. You know, we need to give these rural operators, you know, sort of a longer runway. Anshel, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these rural operators are kind of like small to medium businesses. So they're not really in a yeah. position to acquire the capital they need to quickly replace equipment. And I think a lot of people would agree that it was kind of like ripping off the Band-Aid. Yeah. Um, they didn't really give them enough time to really do this. And, it, you know, it's a source of funding that they've, that they've relied upon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Unfortunately, it seems like it's another political move right. rather than one that really um, – allows, you know, the right approach to be taken. Uh, I wish it was done quicker, obviously, but I also Mm -hmm. don't think just doing it this abruptly, immediately with no recourse is is the right approach.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the US has given, you know, companies that are are integrating Chinese components, you know, within their supply chain, time to pivot away. They've given extensions uh, to companies like Huawei that are integrating US technology. And I think the FCC should have done the same Um, you know, with respect to this particular issue. But, you know, time will tell. Let's shift to your first topic this week. You've actually, all of your topics involve operator updates, but you've got some things to discuss around T-Mobile as well as Boost.
1: Yeah, so um, first operator uh, is going to be T-Mobile. And basically, they made a series of announcements this week. Um, Most of them are actually related to 5G, which is why we're covering it. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one was that they announced that they were able to achieve a 60-mile 5G connection in partnership with Ericsson and OnePlus and Qualcomm. Mm-hmm. And they were able to basically create a and sustain a 5G connection over a distance of 60 miles, uh, obviously using their 600 megahertz spectrum, right. uh, which is kind of the, the idea that they could promise that they could deliver that kind of coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't give very many details. Um, I would have liked them to talk about more what kind of speeds they were getting and, you know, what they, could you watch a video at that distance? Could you make a phone call? Like what, what's actually possible at 60 case. miles, right? Yeah. Um, right. But I still think that, you know, I believe LTE was around 40 miles. So mm-hmm. I, I think getting 60 miles, you know, would in theory allow for much better coverage in rural areas, which is ultimately what I think a lot of people care about. And right. which is why I think T-Mobile even mentioned this announcement. Um, because it kind of supports their story around getting, yeah. you know, rural coverage going. Now, that said, um, at the same time, they also deactivated Sprint's 2.5 gigahertz 5G in about five or six cities, mm-hmm. which were the cities that they were able to launch before T-Mobile acquired them. Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, is that T-Mobile's already managed to pull up uh, a, the majority of those cities with T-Mobile 2.5 gigahertz, Mm -hmm. Um, And they're actually getting it to run faster, um, even if they're using the same amount of spectrum. So they're actually getting better bandwidth and better speeds from the same spectrum that Team Sprint was using. So clearly they're utilizing it much better. But um, Mm -hmm. some users that have those devices that were tied to Sprint's network, um, some of them, the older ones, uh, are not going to work on this new network with T-Mobile. So right. they're they're going to have to um, roll out some programs that they're already rolling out, but they're, they're going to have some programs where people have to upgrade um, mm-hmm. to new devices, and they're doing some kind of schemes there. And then the final piece of news with T-Mobile is that they uh, finally closed their sale of Boost, um, which was originally a Sprint um, oper- a Sprint you know sub-brand right. uh, prepaid, um, and they uh, spun that off to Dish, I believe, mm-hmm. last. 24 hours. So yeah um, lots of big news in T Mobile world lots of 5G updates. And uh yeah, I think it's a, a lot of good progress. Um, but we'll see on the on the uh the boost side what Dish ends up actually doing, which I think leads into your next topic.
0: It does, yeah. Great segue, buddy. So uh it was uh announced this week that Dish is embracing Oran. Uh it's no surprise to me because Oran's gonna bring a level of agility when you look at Rakuten and you know, kind of trendsetters that are using a lot of software to find. Um, it's also gonna bring obvious CapEx um, and OpEx savings. Um, but I found their choice of partners a little puzzling, including Fujitsu. Um, there's certainly a lot of other infrastructure providers, both hardware as well as pure play software, like Navoneer, um, that have uh, a, a demonstrated track record. So Fujitsu was sort of puzzling to me. It makes me wonder, um, you know, is Fujitsu putting some subsidies on the line, you know, to entice them to bust into the U.S.? I mean, do you have any thoughts
1: there? I think the Fujitsu um, partnership might be something that DISH was inspired by from Rakuten. Yeah. I believe Rakuten's mostly using NEC, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're also using Fujitsu. And I think that's I think that might be the, the source huh. of this, you know, partnership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. hard to tell. Um, but that, seemed, that that's the first thought that comes to mind, is that this mm-hmm. might be related to, you know, the way Rakuten's building out their network.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go, but, uh, you know, Rakuten has certainly been a, a, a maverick and a pioneer with respect to virtualization and software-defined, so time will tell. Well, let's shift to your second topic, and we're going to talk about SK Telecom, right, in South Korea.
1: Yeah, so actually, we're going to talk about all three carriers. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, In Korea, um, you know, they were the first country to actually launch 5G. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe they beat Verizon by like a day. Um, And SKT was the first to launch. And um, what basically happened is uh, all three carriers have reported uh, what their numbers are for 5G subscribers. And they're just shy of 7 million subscribers, um, which is pretty good for a smaller country like Korea. And I think that it shows that there's a significant amount of growth for 5G users already. Uh, And when there's infrastructure for it and the devices, there is uptake. And -hmm. there's not a, you know, it's not a weak uptake either. Uh, SK Telecom has 3.1 million subscribers. KT has 2.08 and LGU+ Plus has 1.68, which Mm -hmm. all kind of align with the size of their user bases. So, Yeah. um, yeah, I think it's pretty promising. And it looks good for the growth of 5G. And, you know, even though there's COVID, people are still upgrading their phones and mm-hmm. upgrading to the newest network because it's faster and they're better devices. So I, I think it's, it's more proof in the pudding that people are still upgrading 5G regardless of the situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, SK Telecom has been a leader, you know, driving use case around 5G. I mean, what, what do you attribute this growth to? Is it purely access? Is it, is it use case? Is it a combination of both?
1: Well, I think use case is the least strong, I think. We're still not quite there yet. Yeah. But I would say they have coverage and they've got speeds. And mm-hmm. when you combine speeds and coverage, it's kind of a no-brainer, especially yes. if you don't charge extra for it. Right. So um, I think that's something to consider is if they're not charging much of a premium or they're not charging any premium right. and it's an option to get 5G or not get 5G, you're going to get 5G. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Good point. Good point. Let's shift to my third topic and final topic for the week. And uh, it's news uh, coming from the European Commission, not the European Union, that the European Commission is the regulatory kind of harmonization, you know, body for all of Europe. And uh, this week they announced they set some small cell rule adoption. And it was uh, an attempt to not necessarily deregulate, but not require operators to go through the, the, the traditional planning and filing process for small cells by defining, you know, what a small cell was and how it would be installed and, and, and that sort of thing. I think this is critical. I mean, Europe has, uh, and, and a lot of, you know, places been a laggard relative to the rest of the world because each country has different policies regarding, right. um, deployment and spectrum management and that sort of thing. And so I think this really sort of opens things up and it's going to be really critical with millimeter wave because as you know, and I know, you need that densification to, uh, to really provide a, um, a strong millimeter wave platform. So any thoughts uh, from your perspective there?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, you know, the Europeans are, are famous for their regulations, yeah. but um, I think that it's sometimes it's good that they have a unified regulation, regulatory environment and that they're able to, you know, create a blanket regulatory environment for deploying small cells. So yeah. there's no confusion about what can and can't be done what should and shouldn't be done makes the lives of the operators easier, infrastructure vendors, Um, you know, this might actually help them catch up, um, you -hmm. know, to Europe, I mean, to the U S and Asia, because, you know, we're still struggling with that in the U S even though we've got the spectrum Mm -hmm. and um, you know, obviously China, they, they control everything, but um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, how having the permits in place, and the regulatory infrastructure correctly set up may help them accelerate their their deployments.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, keep your eyes on Airspan Network. So they are big into small cells. They were, if you remember, WyMax. They were in the WiMAX space. I remember. They pivoted very aggressively, and um, you know, they for example, they've been building the Sprint you know Magic Box, um, mm-hmm. small cell product. So. Uh, and they offer a lot of different solutions. So I think they're a company to keep an eye on as a small, small, uh, the small cells start proliferating. So let's shift to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about AT&T.
1: Yeah. So um, AT&T this week announced that they're deploying 5G in 28 more cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big deal is that uh, they're now deploying DSS, uh, yep. which means that they're sharing... 4g and well they're using the same spectrum to share 4g and 5g service uh, which enables them to get better coverage uh over 5g because you know they were also a millimeter wave first operator Mm -hmm. um but they're now deploying lots of sub six gigahertz spectrum uh and they're now using dss to enable themselves to do more in more places um so by adding these 28 cities uh, they are now going to be in a total of 335 markets across country, covering mm-hmm. 160 million total POPs, which means potential you know, customers. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that they didn't say which, which markets are DSS markets and which ones are using dedicated spectrum.
0: Right. And
1: they also didn't say what kind of speeds you can expect from a DSS deployment um, because you are sharing the spectrum and that means that, you know, 4G users could impact 5G users speeds right, and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Um, but we don't know what that situation is today. Uh, I believe they're actually deploying DSS before Verizon, even though Verizon has announced their plans, mm-hmm. um, but they just haven't rolled it out yet. Um, yeah. So yeah, at and is kind of on, on the leading edge with that. And uh, we'll see how that works out long term. Realistically, I think that DSS will be much less important long-term, but short-term it's super important because it gives yeah. you that 5G coverage in places right. where you simply don't have it.
0: Exactly, as we move to a standalone deployment. Hey, for those listeners and, and watchers that might not be familiar with DSS, it's dynamic spectrum sharing. You wanna take a second and define exactly what that is?
1: Yeah, so basically what it does is um, it's a unique technology to certain, operate, cer- certain infrastructure vendors like Ericsson. Um, and they basically are taking a, a certain block of spectrum that was originally dedicated to 4G and mm-hmm. it actually has an existing 4G signal, and then they add 5G to it, and they basically are sending 5G signal and 4G signal simultaneously, and depending mm-hmm. on the type of device you have, you grab the appropriate G, and um, users of 4G and 5G can coexist on the same band of spectrum, and mm-hmm. are basically sharing that same spectrum, which includes sharing the bandwidth. So when you have 4G and 5G users sharing the same bandwidth, they can affect one another. But realistically, a lot of the 5G users are former 4G users, so it shouldn't really affect speeds much. In fact, 5G users should theoretically get slightly faster speeds, mm-hmm. um, because they're utilizing the spectrum more efficiently. But uh, that's that's a much more difficult, more nuanced conversation that we still have yet to figure out.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, hey, bud, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home?
1: Sure. Uh, we hope that our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Uh, if anyone out there would like us to like to provide us with any interesting or specific topics on 5G that they would like us to cover in a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech, and I'm at Sog, uh on Twitter. And we hope that you guys have a great 4th of July weekend. And please tune again next week.